Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Good evening. I'm your host, Yazid Kamaldin, and as you heard, the show is called Burning Issue. Now, this week we have another politician in studio. I'd like to welcome him to Voice of the Cape. His name is Alan Wendy. Assalamu alaikum. Good to be with you. Wa alaikum salam. So, Mr. Wendy, well, Alan, let me just catch up. So, well, let me actually first just backtrack a bit. So, listeners, as you might know, the Democratic Alliance. You know, it's got, it, it governs the Western Cape. Um, it governs Cape Town. And in fact, it governs various municipali- municipalities across the country. And uh, there's an election coming up next year. And Alan Wendy wants to be the premier of the Western Cape. He is the Democratic Alliance candidate. Um, there's been a bit of a shuffle in the Western Cape government with... Um, you know, well, Dan Plato, of course, moved from the Western Cape government. He's now the mayor of Cape Town. In fact, just today, he was officially named the mayor of Cape Town. Patricia Delol, of course, has resigned. Alan Wendy has moved into that portfolio. Yep. Can you safety. give us, give it, yeah. So, I, I think, first of all, yes, I, I'm the one that put my hand up. Well, a couple of us, and we went through a process um, in politics, normally quite a rigorous, rigorous process, and uh, I was the one that came out at the end, and I'm now the candidate uh, for the election in 2019. Next year, we're assuming it's going to be in May. Um, but up until now, I've been in the executive in in the provincial government, and my job has been the economy, so I've had the op- uh, economic opportunities portfolio. Uh, including two departments, Economic Development and Tourism and Agriculture. But um, looking forward and putting my plan on the table to, when I, you know, when you go for these interviews politically and you get given the job, um, my big focus would be, should I be successful in this election, would be safety and security. Obviously, governments must do their main job, but um, I think security at the moment in our region is something that is just eating up communities. It is uh, the safety of in society is just unacceptable, the, the levels of, yeah. of crime and, and influence. So, you know, six months to go in this, uh, I think some people think that I'm crazy, but if that is going to be my focus, why not take Dan's position? Uh, move over and get to grips with this uh, so I get a head start on, on security. Okay, so just to recap, so you, up until six days ago, you were the Western Cape MEC or Minister, as, it called, as it's called in the Western Cape, of Agriculture, Economic Development and Tourism. Correct. Yeah, so that was your job. And now you're the MEC for Community Safety. Community Safety. You've done this for six days. Yes. <laughs> you're going to have to go out to communities a lot and look at like really tough situations right okay but now you're saying this would be a good preparation for you in the run-up to next year's election to understand things hopefully better and you want to be the premier you want to it's your goal yep absolutely put my hand up i want to take on this challenge i'm uh, someone in my life uh, i've I've always not seen a shot away from challenges i like a good challenge put your mind to it, uh, put a plan in place, and make a difference. Mm -hmm. So according to reports, and of course according to the DA as well, there have been a number of people who were sort of candidates for this position. Among them was Bongin Kosi Matikizela, and also Albert Fritz. Uh, no, no, Albert didn't apply. Okay. Uh, so um, there, there were quite a few candidates, but I suppose at the end of the day, it came down to three candidates. Okay. Uh, one of my colleagues or, or our colleagues at uh, at David Mania, who's uh, the national spokesperson on finance mm-hmm. in the National Assembly. Okay. And then, of course, uh, uh, my, my colleague, Wangin Kosimada Gazella, who's the Minister of Human Settlements in the Cabinet with me. Mm. I remember seeing a bit of noise in the media around that. Well, you know, it's... Uh, 
uh, in any political party when it's candidate selection time, you know, that's, uh, they call it the silly season in politics. Um, and sure, you know, that's, you know, people who are colleagues that work together are now suddenly, you know, trying to compete with each other. Um, these are always times in politics where you have to try and manage them, or should I say the leadership has to try and manage properly and, and carefully, and you as individual need to be responsible in this process. Mm. And, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a turmoil. It was a, a tough time. We all were in there competing with each other. And, you know, at the end of the process, uh, we've, you know, I came out, I was, uh, I remember when Musi um, Maimani called uh, the three of us in, the three candidates. What was it, like an interview process? Is, do you have to go through an interview? Yeah, like, how I mean, you, you write a thesis, you write a, you, write a, uh, you know, you submit uh, your plan uh, in writing, and then you go into an interview panel. Uh, 20 people interview you, and uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a rigorous process, it's a tough process, you've got to put your mind to it, you've got to think about what you would do should you become the Premier, and uh, yeah, so I went into that, put my hand up, went through the process, when Missy said in that process, Alan, you've come out, uh, you're the one. Uh, I mean, I know that I put a lot of thought into it, and then when he said, you've got it, you kind of, this thing hits you that actually I'm the candidate and you almost have to rethink what you've already uh, put in place and you can't sleep for the next few nights uh, thinking about this mammoth task that you've put your hand up for but um, yeah I mean I put my hand up I'm I'm, uh, enthusiastic I'm looking forward to it obviously we've got an election campaign between here and there and I have to win that election campaign along with my team Um, and uh, but I really am looking forward to it. Now, I must ask you a difficult question that came up. Unfortunately, it's around race. Very sensitive, you know. Like people see you and they say, oh, here's a white man trying to lead, a, going to lead the DA in the province again. And then they didn't choose the black guy. You know, like what do you say to that? Sure. I mean, it was uh, probably one of the toughest questions in the interview panel because they also, that interview panel, were asking exactly the same questions as probably anybody would ask. We know that uh, in our country, because of our past, uh, and especially right now, I mean, race seems to be on everyone's lips. It is, uh, and, and I think sometimes for the wrong reason, but definitely sometimes for the right reason. Um, if you think about some things that South Africa has got right in, you know, since the, the, the start of democracy, uh, we've done very well, but there are definitely things around transformation, areas around, uh, you know, changes of breaking down those apartheid pasts that get reflected in society every single day. And, and so, therefore, it is on the lips of everybody. And, uh, I think, first of all, my answer to my own political party was that uh, surely we're a party that stands for opportunity. We're a, a party that stands to say we have to we have to rem- remember that there are corrections that need to be made. But surely um, everybody should be able to have an opportunity. And I put my hand up, um, and I understand that you know. But look at my track record and where have I been involved and have I made differences? And uh, do I do I uh, you know make differences specifically to try and correct? the past and I can say that everything that I've done in government in in my portfolios that I've had has definitely worked towards making a difference in society to building the the South Africa that we all want and I would do exactly the same thing should I be premier and so you know obviously at the end of the day whoever does get uh, elected as premier will have to have some race attached to them or some gender attached to them and uh, you know I'm, I'm probably disadvantaged at the moment but I uh, ended up coming 
through that process. Uh, I think it's harder to choose a white male today in in our political environment. Um, but I'm honoured and I'm actually humbled that uh, that I've succeeded in in getting to this position in this in this race. Yeah, I mean it's 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 good that you've also explained that it, you know there's a whole process behind it with an interview and so on, because I think people just make the assumption that the DA just chooses the white people. Mm. I mean, some people make that assumption. They think, oh, it's a white party. It's the narrative. Mm. Uh, I was sitting next to my colleague, Bungan Cosimo de Gisela, today when we were watching the uh, inauguration or the, or the election of uh, Dan as the, as the mayor. And uh, I still remember Bongi saying to me, and we're sitting up in the gallery and we're looking down at this, these 150-odd DA councillors um, and looking at them and, and Bongi's comment to me was now that is that is a diverse representation of of our nation sitting there uh, and those are the DA councillors and uh, I suppose if we look at the mix it's about uh, one third white, two thirds not white so um, yeah I mean that's what we strive for in everything that we do Let's go for an ad break and when we come back we're going to ask Alan Wendy, a couple of questions. And also, of course, remember, you are welcome to participate as a listener. The Voice of the Cape. The Burning Issue. <laughs> this is Burning Issue. I'm your host, Azid Kamaltin. We just got caught up in a bit of a chat off air. And now we're back on air. So, yeah, it's catches the sound everywhere everywhere cool <laughs> yeah so in studio we have alan wendy and of course he is the democratic alliance candidate for premiership in the next election we've been asking him a, a few questions before this and just to remind you the lines are open you can phone us on the number 021-442-3530 there's also a whatsapp line on the number 072-238-0712 some messages on the whatsapp line have already come through but let's ask alan a couple more questions um you know, another question I want to ask you is, um, we've just now discussed and touched on the race issue, and then you had mentioned um, today you were in the city chamber and you saw the multi, the diversity, you know, mm. of, of the DA. But the thing is, um, someone like uh, the former mayor, Patricia DeLille, seems to have attracted a big voter, uh, sort of like turnout support for the DA. How do you think this current situation with her being essentially having to resign how do you think that could affect the voter numbers next year well i think obviously uh you know after or, or at her resignation and probably the lead up to her resignation um you know you could you could feel the tension in the system um you know these things happen in political parties all around the world uh you know eventually people break away um and of course we've we've had this uh this instability in the city itself uh, and you know obviously led to the the resignation and in the last few days lots of people making lots of accusations and shouting backwards and forwards i think at the end of the day we realize that there will be a lot of noise um you know we've got to we've got to allow the processes to run their course um on the investigative side um, and politically, you know, obviously people now try to cause as much damage as possible on the way out. But I think today was a great day in the council chamber. Um, we got 100% of DA vote. There wasn't, uh, you know, further noise in the council or resignations or people obstructing every DA councillor voted for Dan. And, of course, there were some votes from opposition parties as well that supported Dan. So, uh, you know, I think what voters want is they want stability 
in a council. And stability comes politically as well as administratively. So you've got to have a, a good, stable political vision and team um, to take a city like Cape Town forward. And then you need to have uh, the right appointments and a good, a stable administration. When you're having these fights, then obviously what happens is politically, you know, you, you, you feel the instability, but also uh, administratively then... I'm sorry to break your word, but I, I really am dying to ask this question. Sure. More specifically, Patricia DeLille will not be a face campaigning for the DA in next year's election. No. How will that affect the vote, do you think? And and Because your job depends on votes. Correct. Um, And, of course, my job is to get out there. But, you know, of course, we must also understand that political parties don't vote only for one person at a time. Um, It's about your offering, it's about your team, and it's about your track record as well. So, obviously, uh, you know, there's – and leaders have followings. Um, and uh, but leaders also, you know, you've got to go out there to voters, shake hands, uh, tell them what your vision is, tell them what your plan is, show them your track record, and people need to apply their minds. Okay, so you don't think the voters are gonna? Well, they work hard. I mean, nobody says this is easy. Uh, this is this is hard work, um, and I've got to get out there and walk the streets and uh, you know convince voters that uh, this is what I will do. I'll, I'll talk about my track record and then talk about my vision. Let's talk a bit about your track record and vision and so on in just a minute. But let's just talk about Alan Wendy. Let's tell our sure. listeners who you are. So who are you? Where are you from? Where did you come from before you joined politics? So, uh, yeah, I'm a 53-year-old dad of two. Um, I've got a daughter who's still at school. Uh, she's just finishing off. She's, uh, she's got two years to go. And my son is 19. He's, uh, he's a musician, and he's busy studying uh, at the moment at Cape Audio College. He's, he wants to be a sound engineer. Um, Maybe you can come work at Voice of the Cape. Absolutely. Joking. There we go. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> He'd love it, I promise you. Um, he, it's amazing to see when you find your niche and you're happy. I mean, he'll work 16, 18 hours a day because he just loves what he does. Uh, and he's only a first year now. So, uh, But who's Alan Windy? So um, I, uh, I come from Neisner. Neisner is my hometown, although for the last nine years in executive office, you don't get to go home very often. Um, so I have a house here in uh, in Claremont, uh, just off Imam Harun in in, uh, in Claremont, and uh, yeah, I love it here. Um, my wife and I have been married for 25 years, um, but I come from Neisner, and before politics, um, I was an entrepreneur. I was to say I was an entrepreneur in politics. The problem is I've been in politics longer than I was starting businesses, so I'm a politician now with, uh, with an entrepreneurial background. I started 10 companies and uh, ran them for 10 years in the Neisner area. You like the Ramaphosa uh, of the Western Cape? <laughs> um, I don't know if I made as much money as uh, <laughs> Cyril, but uh, you but didn't I, have B B E E E. No, 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 no. Um, and of course, in those days, the only th- closest I ever got to government in those days was paying my taxes. Um, I used to try and stay away from government. But I started these ten companies um, in in Neisner. You know, these are SMEs. Um, so that was my background. Um, Fifty staff, probably in the biggest. Uh, of the companies um, but right from a sports shop bicycle shop um, to a courier company to tour company to a travel agency and then I had factories that did uh, uh, manufacturing of uh, 
of resin molding. Uh, we used to, I used to have a company that uh, made uh, boat covers and tarpaulins and tents and those kind of things. Jeez, wow. Uh, had a kite company. I, I mean, I saw an opportunity. I opened a business. And then, um, and then I got involved in local politics. So in 94, uh, we became a democracy. And uh, in 95, in Nasdaq, we had our first election in our municipalities. But in those days, municipalities were quite small. And I lived just outside of the town of Nasdaq. And uh, so we weren't part of that municipality. And in 96, we had the rural areas. And uh, sort of long story short, I uh, was convinced to stand as an independent candidate. Um, it was the rural area between Pettenberg Bay and Mossel Bay. And uh, fought an election. Luckily, I had a printing company. Luckily, I had a banner company. And so I uh, put up my posters and put up my, did my printing and I won the election. And the next thing I got to district council. And uh, I. So it was a rural area. Yep. What were there like five people? No. Was that why you won? Because there were only five. Well, do, you know how big Easy. The, do you know how far it is from Pentwick Bay to Marcel Bay? That's a, it's a big area. It's a huge area, and it's all the little villages. You so know, you became the, the ward councillor essentially. Basically. Yeah. But it's the little village areas. So it's the Karatras and the Renendals, the places that are all burning at the moment. Um, the Deepwalle and the Damsebos and the, you know, all of these rural areas around the outskirts of the towns. But it also included in those days places like Buffels Bay and and the smaller little towns that weren't part of the Georges or the or the Nizes. And uh, yeah, I got elected. And then I didn't really know what I was doing in politics. But in 90, that was in 96. And in 98, um, I was actually thinking of exiting politics. And in one week, I was approached by the ANC. I was approached by the National Party. And I was approached by the Democratic Party in one week to say, please, why don't you get involved in the 99 uh, minus, uh, uh, provincial election. So obviously, so you had a following. Yeah. Or what was it? Because I mean, that's why why parties want you. I was you also I was also a swing vote in the council, and I and I kind of worked quite hard. Um, it was no problem to get in my car and drive, you know, sixty k's or seventy k's to go and visit somebody who had an issue, and I'd raise that issue and I'd fight on their behalf, and you know, then everybody decided, well, this is maybe a good guy to attract. And I was an independent, so I wasn't politically aligned, and I also played the kind of I played in the middle in that council, so I kind of went with whoever had a good idea. And um, and then when I was approached, I, I thought about it long and hard, and I thought I, dec I decided to join the Democratic Party, and fought the election, and I was elected in '99 to the provincial legislature, um, and yeah, I've been there ever since. Ten years then in opposition, and now nine years in executive office in government. Did you feel that it was just like job security to join a bigger party? Because seem, it seems like being an independent candidate running your own thing would probably be quite an uphill battle daily. Like, I mean, you don't have support, like, you know, it's not a big party, etc. There's not resources. I, I mean, my, I had all these businesses, so they were funding it. Um, I mean, in those days, I think my salary was 700 rand a month as a councillor. Uh, as a part-time rural council, that's like the government giving uh, you that, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, my my uh, sister was my accountant, and she used to give me these reports on each of the companies and show me where profits or loss. And then she'd give me this last report. It was called politics, and she said, "Look at this. This is a total loss maker. You get seven hundred in, and you spend more than that on petrol. You spend more than that on faxes. You spend more than that on." And she said, "No, this doesn't work at all. It doesn't make any financial sense." 
Um, but did you enjoy it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's why I'm still here. Um, so I, I started 10 companies because I, I used to love the challenge of getting a business going. Once the business was going, I'd almost get bored. Um, then it was time for the marketing guys and the auditors and the sales guys. Um, and so then I'd move on to the next challenge. And that's why so many companies. And in politics, I promise you, there's never a dull moment. Um, there's always a challenge. I'm a journalist, I know. <laughs> you people make a lot of noise all the time. <laughs> um, coming now to the DA and Western Cape. So you've been here for nine years? Nine, years, in nine years as a MEC, yeah. Nine years? Wow. That's a long time. Too long, eh? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I can't be an MEC anymore. I've got to do something else. Is Alan Zilla, the current premier, giving you lots of advice? How does that work? I mean, and, I mean, I was at an event where she actually really spoke very highly of you. Good. Um, <laughs> it was the Ned Bank. There was something at the Southern Sun Hotel or something. Uh, the business, uh, that was the Western Cape uh, meeting with the business. government. And, yes. yeah. and she spoke very highly of you. So, I mean, how does it work? Is she now giving you advice and stuff? Is there going to be a handover period? I don't know. Like, I mean, assuming you get the vote, of course. Let Correct. Us not That's the first thing. We're always going yeah. to remember that. You don't just automatically get a job like this. You've got to ask the people and the, the people public. decide. Yeah. Mm. The, the voters decide. Um, I, I must say one thing. You know, obviously I've been in her cabinet for nine years. Um, she's given me the scope to do what I need to do. Um, and I think now, uh, for example, last night uh, we were we were at the Africa Oil Week, and we were at an event with uh, 200 CEOs and six or seven foreign ministers, and uh, I happened to be at the event with her, and she was going to be the speaker. So we had we had our Deputy Minister uh, Majola, who's uh, for for Minerals and Energy, so she was the main speaker, and then the Premier kind of spoke at the end. And uh, when she spoke at the end, um, she kind of stood up to speak and make a speech, and she sort of introduced me and said, "Oh well, you, I think Ellen should speak." And so, so I had to speak. So she gives you, she does give you scope and gives you opportunity. But that's all on the spot. Oh, oh that's fine. You're a politician. You must be able to do that. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also about uh, it's about oil and gas. It's about the IDZ in Soldana. It's about what I mean. It's been my job. So if I can't talk about it, well, then I shouldn't be doing anything more. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she, I mean, she's really, it's been great to work with her. I've learned a lot from her. Um, and, you know, I've looked at uh, the province. The first five years was about governance, getting governance right, uh, moving towards these things called clean audits and making sure you're spending the money in the right place and in the right things, making the right choices. And then the second five years was about delivery. And, you know, these are the management S-curves that you talk about. And, um, you know, so we've gone through the second term. So the third term would be wh- how do you take it to the next level? So, you know, we, we've done great things. How do we actually go even better? Okay. Now, I'm going to ask you a difficult question. Cool. You come from a business background. You work in politics. How will the DAB and rather the province be, if you were to become the mayor, sorry, not the mayor, the premier, Considering this background, will this be a province that is more pro-business and pro-profit as opposed to pro-poor and pro-people? I had to ask that question. Sure. Given your background and its politics. and Sure. I think it's a very good, very good question. So that's where I said you've got to judge me on my background. So I would put business practices in place. Um, my vision going forward is saying what are the areas that we need to focus on. So, of course, for the last nine years, I've focused on growth and jobs. That's been my mandate. 
Um, so if now it's the whole. It's the whole of uh, of the provincial government mandate, um, at where most of our money goes to education and health. Um, education and health is definitely the greater bulk of the population getting the population educated and making sure they're healthy um, and then of course well they need to work exactly. they need to be healthy to work they need to be educated to work and the, yeah. the strategy of growth and jobs would remain but my personal focus would be on crime public transport resilience and service excellence so you know that's my vision going forward and of course those are areas of the reason that you choose those areas is because you know the 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 over 6 million people that live in this province you analyze where are the pressure points certain people can look after themselves certain people can't government's role is to create an environment uh, to enable people to do what they need to do to live the life that they'd like to live and then identify where the risks are or identify where the problems are now that's that's a business approach as well where are your risks in business make sure you're investing in minimizing your risks what are our risks here our risks are crime how are we going to invest into making sure? So, And I'm about a vision, long-term vision, and then put a plan in place. That's the business background. So you want to become this kind of business with that kind of brand, get the right budget, get your market, go out and do it. So I've, I've applied that to everything that I've done in government. So, for example, safety and security. How do we actually put a plan in place that says we want to make sure this is the safest province on the African continent in the next 20 years? That's the kind of stuff that I apply my mind to. Or public transport. Public transport, your question was, you know, pro-business or, or what about pro-poor? So the biggest focus or second focus to, to uh, safety and security would be public transport. I don't have to tell you what the public transport system is like at the moment in the city. This city specifically is a world-class city. But our transport system and our public transport system specifically is not a world-class public transport system. How on earth do we get it right that we align those two? That means public transport must be a major focus. I promise you that's not for the rich, that's for the poor. At the moment we should have uh, 600,000 people traveling on our train system every day. We're lucky if we've got 200,000 people traveling on our train system. So that 400,000 people who used to use the trains are now using taxis and buses or cars. Every time you move from a train to a taxi, or a train to a bus and then to a taxi, that puts up the cost. That is so, the bottom mm-hmm. line of the poorest mm-hmm. of the poor in this We've got a minute to the ad break, so just in a nutshell, you're saying that your policies and your government and, your, and a government under you would definitely focus on people and not just profit, or not? Absolutely. Well, governments don't make profit. Um, so their job is people. And their job is their job is an enabling environment for people to take uh, their own responsibility for themselves, to step in where, where people can't. That's the safety net. Uh, you know, that's social development. Um, but, of course, the main budget goes to creating opportunities. So education, skills, um, healthy population. How do we step in to make sure we have a healthy population? What are the other things we must do so that, that the people of this region can actually live a better quality of life. Great stuff. Let's go for a quick break and then we'll come back after that with Alan Wendy. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. The Indonesian tsunami has caused unimaginable devastation with a catastrophic... Government under you who definitely focus on people and not just profit or not.
Absolutely. Well, governments don't make profit. Um, so their job is people. And their job is their job is an enabling environment for people to take their own responsibility for themselves, to step in where, where people can't. That's the safety net. Uh, you know, that's social development. Um, but, of course, the main budget goes to creating opportunities. So education, skills, um, healthy population. How do we step in to make sure we have a healthy population? What are the other things we must do so that, that the people of this region can actually live a better quality? quality of life. Great stuff. Let's go for a quick break and then we'll come back after that with Alan Wendy. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. The Indonesian tsunami has caused unimaginable devastation with a catastrophic death toll of over 2,000 people and leaving survivors in search of food, water and urgent medical supplies. Muslim Hans has a team in the worst affected area working around the clock to help people in desperate need. We need your help so we can reach as many people as possible with life-saving aid. Donate now. Visit muslimhands.org.za or call us on 021-633-6413. Join one up cash and carry for super low prices. Nola mayonnaise 750 gram 18 rand 99. Bacoma cornflakes 1 kg 31 rand 99. Chicken tizers pops 1 kg 39 rand 99. Prices valid till 7 November 2018. Excellent Meat Market brings you this week's Wow Wednesday Blitz. Bolang sausage, 69 rand 99 per kilogram. Save 11 rand per kilogram. You've heard right. Bolang sausage, 69 rand 99 per kilogram. Save 11 rand per kilogram. Don't miss out on the best Wow Wednesday Blitz. Valid at all stores. All our products are quality guaranteed or your money back. Excellent Meat Market. Committed to excellence. Hi listeners, this is Duncan from Builders Express in Kenilworth. We once again have some amazing deals for you. Plascon Palvin 10 meter white, 420 rand. Makita Cordless Impact Roll, selling at 3,550 rand. Ecotank 950 liter, 1,999 rand. Expander Slam, selling at 1,100 rand. Standard Building Cupboard 1.2 meters in width, selling at 1,900 rand. Listeners, you can have your pool water tested for free in store. We also do paint mixing board cutting and listeners outdoors open from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday to Friday. Saturdays we open between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. Sundays we are trading between 8 and 2 and you can find us right next to Access Park. So what are you waiting for? Get to Builders and get it done. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. 91.3 FM The Burning Issue So we have a question for Alan Wendy from a listener. Listener 0115 says... The Democratic Alliance is accused of racism and gentrification of the colored people in Burkhardt, District 6 and Woodstock. How does the incoming Premier or the candidate Premier, how will you rectify this? That's a question from our listener. So obviously, um, I mean, I, I think there's multi-pronged to that question. And uh, so let's take the first one around Burkhardt. 
And, uh, you know, perhaps that's an area that I would really like to have a, an in-depth discussion on the work of. And, you know, what is it that we should be doing? If I, if I look at what I've just done on the Philippi uh, agricultural area, you, I mean, there's been a lot of debate around Philippi and its, uh, its, its resilience and its ability to survive. And in cutting it short, we, we did a study on the agricultural component of Philippi. We then got the province to agree that we would not allow development to happen on that space. And we've done exactly the same thing. Is this a thing with a mall and or, you know, what been, exactly? Okay, so there's, been, there's two big applications in Philippi to, where we're losing that Philippi uh, agricultural area. Mm. I know um, there's been the PHA that's been making yeah, a PHA, lot of money. That's yeah. exactly it. So my my hat with agriculture was to say, what do I do about that? So we did a quick study on it, uh, looked at the viability, showed that agriculture was viable, um, understanding that, uh, you know, it's not a government that decides to close a place down. It's applicants. Uh, Somebody would want to sell their land and somebody would want to develop it. Mm -hmm. So what what we did is we got the province and the city to agree that uh, that core area of the Philippi horticultural area, we would not promote development on it. Um, The big risk there is crime is actually driving people off the land, uh, becoming too expensive to farm, and then people want to sell. But we've made a decision on that. So the same thing could apply, where we say, all right, but remember, as soon as you do that, you're infringing on certain people's rights, because if someone owns a property and wants to sell to a developer, you are now creating a a space that says, no, you can't. Um, But I'm very happy to engage in that kind of discussion. Obviously, it's not a provincial competency, really, but a province... Uh, can involve themselves in it because you can look at overall vision and overall planning. Because the argument there was that there's a lot of water under that land and then we're going to lose the the, the, the ability to feed ourselves. That's the kind of stuff I was reading. So uh, so yes, and it it is viable. It gets three crops a year compared to two crops a year in other parts of, uh, you know, sort of further towards Starbush, etc. So it's got viability. But of course, anything is only viable um, you, you can protect it up to a certain stage. Um, if it's not viable commercially, it's not going to last. Um, and that's why, the, so let's get back to the book op. So I'm very happy to get into a kind of discussion that says, let's look at culture and heritage. Um, and let's have a proper open discussion. Because obviously, you must remember that if you put a, a system in place that says, all right, no development is going to happen here, um, those have implications as well. Um, because the, then it moves into the second part of the question, which is called gentrification. And that's an interesting discussion because obviously people use the word gentrification and it's got positives and negatives to it. Um, anybody, and, and, and I think it's also, if we think really serious about it, it's about linked to ownership, right? And mm-hmm. the big issue in South Africa is land ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, and people say, well, we don't want our properties to gentrify. We want to... But I look at that and I say, well, is that really what we want? If you own that property, surely you actually would like it to go up in value. You wouldn't want it to stagnate. Um, you know, you if uh, I'm not sure if you've been to Butterworth lately, but I promise you your rates and taxes in Butterworth this year are less than they were last year because your property is worth less. Yeah. I think gentrification from the other side is that the community, it's, a, it's about heritage and inherited cultural practices and uh, all of that you know and getting and, bought up and turned into high-rise buildings yeah and yeah. essentially coffee shops and whatever that f- 
some people feel it's alien to their community where the kids could play in the street before suddenly there's a hotel next to them Absolutely. or opposite them and they feel like they're losing their community yeah well, I, I, can i tell you an experience that i had when when uh, this must have been a six years ago um i got a request because my responsibility was tourism and the request came up from residents of the book they wanted to m- meet with me on crime issues linked to tourism so i said sure no problem and uh, we had the meeting and i and i came into the boardroom and I looked at everybody around the table and half the people were foreigners. And I thought, hang on a second, is this the Burkhop meeting? And I understand that's the issue. Um, because what happens with gentrification is people sell their properties and their properties change ownership and then change culture, uh, changes heritage of a region. And we know, I mean, if you think about tourism and the Burkhop, it's like the icon. It's, you know, it's this amazing place. But those are the decisions that need to take place and I want to say they must be community driven. So I use in tourism an example quite often of Franschuk. If you look at Franschuk and the development of Franschuk as a tourism entity in the last 25 years, what happened? Somebody had a vision and said we want to take this area and develop it into a gastronomic capital of Africa. And so the, divi- the vision grew and it is now commercially viable. The prices went up and it's got a certain feel. It's got a certain culture. It's got a certain... And but there's doesn't no problem it push to do out, doesn't it push out families who have been there for many years? Within, like, I mean, this is the complaint you hear about Burkhap, that families can't afford the rates or they can't afford to keep up living there anymore because, you know, everything has just become more expensive. So, I mean, is it... Is it I, I totally understand your perspective of saying... It can be healthy for the economy and for a community and so on. But I think what I'll, what the listener is raising, yeah, I understand. Is, yeah, mm. rent rent fixing. <laughs> yeah, and also and like, should we leave the value of a property and fix the value of the property? Intervene um, now personally. Well, rates rates um, is a city thing. Yeah, sure. Just by and, the way, but rates I are mean, based on value. Yeah, exactly. And value is based on market. And market is based on supply and demand. Yeah. And if nobody was selling their property in the workup, the prices would stay low. Yeah. And so would the value. Yeah. Okay, so listener, thank you for that question. We are going to go for an ad. Listeners, if you do want to contribute to our show, you're welcome to phone in. The number is 021-442-3530. And the WhatsApp number is 072-238-0712. We have... In studio, Alan Wendy, and he wants to be the premier of the Western Cape next year. The Voice of the Cape, 91. The Burning Issue. We are back on air. And we have a caller. Caller, good evening. Assalamualaikum. Welcome to Burning Issue. Um, I, am, am I on the line on, on now? You are live on air. More than 200,000 okay, people are listening question. to you. Hi, yeah. Alan. Mike Young in Sedgefield. <laughs> um, when are we going to hear what safety and security measures will be taken to deal with the, the, the risk of fire? The, the, it's quite clear to me that the local authorities are not doing enough to make sure that fire risk is probably managed. 
Hi, Mike. Uh, all the way from Sedgefield. Excellent. Thank you for calling in. And uh, absolutely, it was uh, in actual fact today we we are busy talking about budgets and disaster. And uh, you know we've just been and and long term on fire because the garden root is burning again another year on. And uh, we were talking about the disaster money that came in. 54 million, I think, came in just a short while ago uh, from a year ago's disaster. And if much of that is going to be spent on alien eradication, the aliens, unfortunately, are now, um, you know, a meter and a half high. And it just costs so much more to deal with them. And with 100,000 hectares burnt, and now obviously not uh, talking about the loss of life and the loss of of homes, but the risk. And if we don't deal with this 100,000 hectares, maybe 50,000 hectares is, is going to turn into alien vegetation thicker than ever before. And so today I was talking about how do we tomorrow in Cabinet get disaster recognized on the existing fire and get the money as quickly as possible in to deal with the aliens because if we don't that fire risk in 10 and 15 years time is going to be twice as much as it is right now so i mean i absolutely agree with you um, we've got to look at it differently in disaster management we're also doing the same thing we've got so many helicopters on standby costing so much money but perhaps we have to move to the next level from a disaster management but also from a preventative but of course all of these things cost money and uh, we can through the disaster process budget so we'll probably uh, I think in this budget now you'll see us putting some of our own provincial money in aside from the disaster money to make sure that we deal with this as quickly as possible to minimize risk but uh, climate change is here to stay and aliens and fire load uh, we, we have to think about it very differently I fully agree with you okay we have another caller online caller good evening assalamualaikum welcome to burning issue Thank you so much. Um, good evening, Mr. Winner. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. And you? Yes. Yes, I hear that you are called, apparently, as a jobs uh, premier. So I have a jobs question for you. Yes. So, you know, unemployment is vastly affecting young people, and um, it's been a problem in the country. And the statistics have just been on the rise ever since. So my question is, how are you going to be able to create jobs in such an economic climate also within the Western Cape province, because I believe also it is the economic, it's the new economic hub of South Africa. So how are you going to be able to create jobs in such climate? Thank you very much. Uh, a good question. Now, first of all, you spoke about youth, and I mean, that's the really scary thing for South Africa. South Africa's youth unemployment now is the highest youth unemployment in the world. And uh, that really, really is scary. Um, the question is perfect for me because it's been my job for the last nine years. We really have worked hard at creating an enabling environment. In other words, red tape reduction, uh, making sure we've got skills, uh, maybe just as an aside, artisanal skills are going to be paying big money in the future. I'm just putting that out as a tip there. Uh, the average age of an artisan now in our province is 60 years old. And uh, these are electricians. These are people who can do robotics, I think, with the drought plumbing jobs. So plumbing companies, SMMEs, that, that for me is where there's going to be lots of opportunity going forward because it's, again, about supply and demand. But it's a work that we've done on the ecosystem. Um, if I think about the broadband strategy, the free Wi-Fi, 
the incubators in the barn in Kailicha, the bar, the the ICANN Centre in Elsie's River, and uh, the Bandwidth Barn in Woodstock, these have all started to create an ecosystem. And this is this is tech, and this is where young entrepreneurs are coming in. Um, and so, uh, if you looked at the Endeavour report that came out uh, now, the Cape is, and this is Cape Town and Stellenbosch, is the tech capital of Africa or the Silicon Cape of Africa. Um, and it's stuff that we've been working on for years, uh, for 10 years now. We've been working on this ecosystem, and now we are rated. We've got more jobs, uh, 50,000 jobs in that tech sector, uh, which is more jobs than Nairobi and Lagos put together, and we're now bigger than Johannesburg. In the finance space, we're 14% of the economy. Uh, Gauteng is 34% of the economy, and we've just become the finance capital of sub-Saharan Africa. Um, these are things that we've been working on in the ecosystem uh, which is about creating jobs in an environment and you speak about this uh, difficult environment um, it really is difficult when you've got junk status when uh, your economy gets downgraded all the time when the f- projections of growth are downgraded we we were having a projection of 1.5 percent at the beginning of the year now we probably won't even reach 0.7 percent growth uh, in South Africa but despite all of that the ecosystem that I've been involved in helping creating is that ecosystem that um, in the last nine years with 14% of South Africa's economy, 60% of all new jobs in the last nine years come out of the Western Cape. In the last quarter, um, there were 188,000 new jobs in South Africa, 95,000 of those jobs on the Western Cape. That's 51% in one province. And I think it's because of that ecosystem. It's because we're supporting uh, entrepreneurs, because we're creating an environment uh, for people to get jobs. But it is still not enough. We have got so much still to do. You know, we, we might be able to talk about these amazing numbers, but when you've got 20% of your, of your people that are unemployed can't find a job, job coming out to look for opportunity putting pressure on the system it means we've got to continue what we're doing but we've got to do much much more we've got to take it to a new level we've got to we've got to interact with people who come up with great ideas on how we create jobs um, and we are i believe in these projects in testing trialing them and making them happen and i mean that, that 1.3 fm that's what i'm proud of you know, win or lose the next election, I'm really proud of my own track record because we've outperformed every other province. And surely that must put me in good stand, standing okay. to say I'm putting my hand up. Wow, that was so, so like thorough. Our next caller is online. Welcome to Burning Issue. Yes, uh, Salam, good evening. It's Maurice in Tableview. Um, Mr. Windy, I think something that uh, our province, the Western Cape, is not immune to, and uh, maybe you, you, you probably got strong views on this. Um, We've noticed uh, throughout the year that there's been a spike in uh, illegal land occupation and and, and protest action. So land issues are not immune here, and it's also relevant to the uh, Western Cape. I think uh, uh, I heard the other day something to the effect of 63 land invasions in the Western Cape since the start of uh, of 2018. So I'd just like to know, what is your plan? Um, I know we're all sensitive to land issues. But how are you going to manage to curb illegal land inv- invasions and manage this process uh, effectively? 
Okay, nice, complex question in the environment we find ourselves. Thank you very much for that question. And, uh, yeah, land is a big, big issue in South Africa. It's obviously being pushed even harder because uh, we are having um, policy discussions around land. Uh, and I think, first of all, let's, let's just say it uh, like it is, 24 years into democracy, uh, we haven't corrected uh, the imbalances of the past. And so I've got, uh, well, up until now, now I've had two hats. The, the, the one hat has been the, the agricultural hat. And uh, so land reform in an agricultural space, definitely way too slow. When I took over four years ago, we were at 1%. We're now at 4%. So we've at least grown by, by uh, fourfold, but still way, way too low. Um, we, we have definitely not uh, invested the right amount of money. Uh, if I think about it as a provincial uh, government, it's not our mandate. It's the, the National Department of, of Land Reform who buys the or puts the money into the land. Um, and uh, it's definitely not fast enough. We probably need $2 billion a year, and this province gets something like $120 million are you, a year. Sir, are you mentioning all of this because it impacts on land ev- evasion? Correct, and, and I think that's where the policy comes in. So one is agriculture. Mm-hmm. But in actual fact, and if you look at the, pla- the, the, the committee that the president has put together to talk about land, it's very agricultural biased, which is great. I think that's stunning. But where's the, where's the land issue in our towns and in our cities? Well, considering because that most people live in the urban exactly. spaces. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where the main issue is. I mean, you think about how many people live in backyards. If you think about there are more than 500,000 people on a waiting list waiting for homes in just the city. I mean, this is just amazing. So and do you need to be working with the national government? Because the caller essentially was asking, you know, how do we address land invasions? But he said illegal as well. Yeah. So it is, it is about getting the policy environment right. It is about finding existing land. Now, what we say is that there is lots of land available. Make that land available um, and find new models. So, uh, I mean, and then there's the illegal question. So the illegal question is also difficult to deal with. because People I'm, are coming from somewhere. One has to, I need to go to understand that as well where are they coming from to invade the land illegally yeah but it's also you can imagine you can understand the frustration as well there's huge frustration in finding places to stay especially in our in our municipalities um the illegal part is also very difficult to deal with um there are pretty stringent laws if you've been on a piece of land uh, for longer than a certain amount of time and the kind of costs it is to go to court to get those court orders. It is it is a complex, difficult environment. But we also say that there are lot there is lots of land available. We've been asking in the city specifically for lots of the military land. Um, but again, a project that you know it frustrates me like crazy. We just haven't got District Six. I mean, if anything was a was an, a parcel of land that is strategically and critically placed for yeah. making a real difference, linking back to the gentrification question, that's District 6. Let's take a call and then I want to get into the District 6 more in detail because I don't want to lose the caller. Caller, welcome to Burning Issue. Yes, good evening. How are uh, you live uh, on air? Yes, I want to I, I wanna ask a question to Mr. Windy there. Mine is with regard to water. Uh, water is expensive in the Western Cape as compared to the rest of the country. What are you going to do uh, with the pricing strategy going forward? And secondly, I was not convinced with the, 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 the previous question with regard to the gentrification. Are you saying you are going to do away completely with the gentrification or what? Okay. Okay. Let's go for the water question or do you want to 
No, no, go I'll go okay. water first. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, we've gone through one of the worst droughts in 300 years. The drought is actually still biting in this province. Uh, that's why there are these fires in, in uh, the Southern Cape. It's so dry there. And in Beaufort West, I mean, the dams are empty. So we've still got a big, big drought uh, on, our, on, on our hands. Climate change has definitely had to stay. Um, we've got to use water differently. Um, but also I hear the pricing. And I hear that specifically, I feel it for the people living in Cape Town with the, with the high level restriction and the pricing that goes with it. Uh, I heard the mayor today say that they're really going to look at dropping that again. Our big, our big uh, thing is how do we drop the price but it also still keep the volume usage down. We've got to use water differently and more wisely. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, just take another call and then we're going to the gentrification sure. in District 6. Caller, welcome to Burning Issue. How are you? Good, thank you. You're live on air. I'm good, thank you. Hi, Mr. Mayor, congratulations. <laughs> it's not uh, the mayor, but anyway. <laughs> Hi. Who is this now? It's Alan Wendy's. Uh, he's on on the, sh- on the show. Are you phoning with a question for him? Yes, Mr. Alan, how are you? I'm very good in you. I'm good, thank you. Sorry. You're speaking to Maureen. So I have a question for you. Um, do you have a plan in reducing the cost of water in Western Cape and what pricing strategies are you going to use? Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Maureen. And uh, again, like the other question, I think water is a big, big issue. The pricing of water is a big issue. The future water plan for the region is a big issue. Um, We don't have a long-term water plan in place. We're still waiting for that verification. Um, That is is where you get the different spheres of government with different roles. Um, And that water plan is critical um, because that links to the pricing that you're talking about and the long-term resilience of of our our region. I spoke about what my plan would be as Premier. One of them is resilience. Resilience is about water. It's about electricity. It's about it's about informal settlements and their susceptibility to fire. It's about are we what are we going to have? What's going to happen if we have floods? And are we resilient to it? And we're not. Um, so it is a big, big issue um, for me. Up until now, it's also been about water for the economy. Water means jobs, and uh, we have to get that right. I think we had some. Uh, we really put some tough management processes in place. That has, that has cost us, you know, as society. Um, but I think we really are alive to it at the moment. So, so water going forward will continue to be a big the issue. The price of water is going to be determined by the city, though. Because we're buying water from the city as as residents. Correct, but the water supply into the system comes from the national system. Mm -hmm. So the national system is our water system being Mm -hmm. our dams, Um, but there's also groundwater, Um, some groundwater being abstracted legally, some actually without measurement. Um, So that's also needs. And then, of course, going forward, there will be desalination in our system going forward. I mean, the only reason I'm mentioning that is because the question seemed to be asking what are you going to be doing about the price that we're paying for water? Those are like the... Okay, know. so obviously it is a city issue, but it also is a province-wide thing mm-hmm. because the price is not only in the city, the price is in Saldana Bay because they also got... Uh, they actually were worse off than Cape Town at one stage. Um, the Southern Cape's pricing is going up now because they, they are still in the drought. Um, so it's about supply and demand again, and uh, we've got to make sure we up the supply so that we can keep the price down. And we reuse water more. Mm-hmm. Uh, our reuse is not big and not, not voluminous. Uh, enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, but now let's go to the, the District 6 question because I think you might need time for this. In fact, two listeners have sent in uh, the questions. I mean, the, the previous listener who asked the question, he said, um, 
you know, how will the matter be solved of returning to District 6 where people were dispossessed? And we, of course, know some people have returned, but I mean, like you said, there's still a vast open land there. And then another person has sent a message saying, um, please ask, ask him about gentrification, low income and mixed income housing close to the city. And then another person has asked you about, can you respond to violence on the Cape Flats? But let's do it one thing at a time. I mean, <laughs> District 6. Well, nobody said it wasn't complex. <laughs> yeah, gentrification, District 6, that kind of thing. Okay, so District 6 first. Uh, obviously, that is something that uh, you know has bugged us as a government for a long time. Um, I remember at one stage, I thought we were really getting some traction on it. Um, I remember uh, the National Department had, uh, had a, a guy, Mr. Wurst, on it uh, I mean I thought we were really getting there and then it seemed to just sort of die down then a, a short while ago we saw some interaction in the in the parliament and people were saying well maybe the province should get this and then national came back and said no the province is not going to get it um, I mean, it is a big issue, and it's an issue that we have to solve. It's not about, and we've got to move beyond politics in this. I think it's an issue where, um, you know, it's, should I become the Premier, then how do we actually get all the role players around the table and say, we've got to set ourselves a deadline, let's finish this thing, because it has been hanging around our necks for way too long. And, I mean, if anything is symbolic, that is symbolic. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, when you drive past that open land and you see it and you know that people want to come back you just wonder why isn't it happening exactly. especially since government has the budget for it i mean money has been put into 139 houses so far there's another uh, phase three development that is now standing still because of corruption alleged corruption going on there in fact i mean this is something we discussed on this sh- radio show by the way um so as as the potential premier of the western cape how i mean you would be in a position to lead or to um Make headway is is how does one even begin? So I mean I haven't uh, put my mind to it specifically, and I don't have that responsibility yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know I if I think about probably my most successful government project has been what we've called airlift. Um, we set ourselves a target of getting direct flights coming from across the world into Cape Town, and because uh, up until up until five years ago, the the strategy was to fly to Oratambo and then from there onto the different uh, uh, airports in South Africa. But we said, if you want to grow the economy, you actually bring the pipeline straight in. Now that I don't have levers for, I don't control AXA. It's a national department, uh, the civil aviation authorities, the independent airlines. Um, but we put some money together. We put a team together and we built a partnership built a partnership with private sector built a partnership with national and provincial and local agencies and now we're sitting on 14 new direct flights four years later one and a half million seats it's five billion to the economy Um, we've got 18 expansions into africa and into other parts of the world it's a hugely successful partnership that we built so how do we get the right people around the room around the table in the room to say when do we want to get this finished by but i'm going to lead this into the gentrification answer as well because remember that it's also the partnership is not about government it's actually about civil society it's about the people too and they play a prominent role in making sure that it works so um, you know in the gentrification question it's about uh, and I started to answer it earlier with some examples but it's about how do the people of that specific area that you want to preserve in a certain way or develop in a certain way or have a vision for a certain way you need to have 
buy-in. Um, you'll never get 100% buy-in, but you need to have majority buy-in to say, yes, we agree to this. Um, and, of course, it's playing with economic forces. It's, uh, it's, it's, this is complex. It's not easy. Yeah. But it, it, that's where I, where I believe it should start. So who leads the project at the moment? Is it national government? On District 6. Yeah. It yes, seems like that sits government. with the yeah. Department yeah. of Land Reform and yeah. Rural Development. And then, because I remember there was, as you had mentioned, the um, talk that it's now, I mean, we had somebody from the provincial government, from the Western Cape Provincial on the radio that I interviewed, saying that the national department actually said that the provincial government should manage it. And then that national government person said on this radio station, that's not what she said. And then they had to go into the whole records and blah, blah, blah all this stuff. And th- that happened live on this, ra- uh, uh, while I was interviewing them, by oh, the wow. way. Yeah, it happened right here. And I think a lot of people who listen to the station have links to District 6. You know, I'm sure. And that's, it comes up so often. And they've been waiting for how long? I mean, this is just, uh, and, and I, you know, obviously I'm a politician. And if I was a national politician right now, I would say this should be my number one priority and uh, because it would make the biggest difference. Uh, it is it is so symbolic, number one. Um, it really, really is something that would make a huge difference to correcting a massive injustice. So I, I mean, I know that, that, that's the part that I don't understand. Mm, yeah. We have a, um, a... Yes, you don't have to shout at me. So we're going to take a break now. It's time for prayers. The Burning Issue. Welcome back to Burning Issue. I'm your host, Yazid Kamaldin. In studio, we have Alan Windy, and he is uh, the Democratic Alliance's potential, uh, you know, he's essentially going to run for Premier next year in the Western Cape. We've had him in the studio since 6 p.m. And just to remind you that we do welcome your calls to the radio station. The number on air is 021-442-3530. You can also send us a WhatsApp to the number 072-238-0712. Alan wants to talk now about his vision, what he intends to do if he does indeed win your vote or any other many votes actually to become the premier of the western cape do you want to tell us more about your vision so i think first of all uh, my my track record and my history has been about what we call in government psg1 growth and jobs and obviously that is for me the biggest enabler for anybody nothing changes somebody's life than a job i mean you can imagine a household where no one works and suddenly the dad can come home with a job look his kids in the eye and feel proud about creating an environment for them so really it is and and we can see it in in towns where the uh, where the where the unemployment rate drops and the growth rate goes up we see less impact on our health system because as soon as someone's got a job they don't have to stand in a long queue they can actually get quicker faster service so jobs don't definitely the second and the third would be education and health those are the two big budget items of the western cape i won't speak about those Uh, besides obviously i like to bring innovation in uh, wherever i look at things and how do we make things more innovative 
But my focus, and I kind of briefly touched on it, was safety and security. It would be public transport, it would be resilience, and it would be the uh, service excellence. Or uh, let me put put it this way. It's about getting to better services at local government level. How does a province support a local government? That's Local government is the coalface. That's where your water and your lights and your the calls that have been coming in. How do we get more cost-effective water and lights? Local uh, government, city of Cape Town. City of Cape Town or the municipality in which yeah. you live. They, they, they supply you. They fix the pothole in your road. They make sure there's a street light. They make sure that there's water. They make sure that there's light. That, that's their basic uh, system of a, of a local government or what they're supposed to. But, you know, if you think about interactions, customers always talk about service delivery. And you think about service delivery protests and pe- because they're not getting the adequate services. And so how do we make that and make that different? And, I mean, that's where I want to bring a better, think, better thinking to government. Government, uh, you know, every year you put up the price. Every year you continue to offer the basic service. But how are we measuring ourselves like a business? You asked me about my business background. So a business would be saying, how am I going to get a better service, faster, more effective, cheaper, mm-hmm. and a happier customer? Mm-hmm. How do we start applying those kind of principles to services? So that would be some work. Do you mean government services? Yeah. How sure. Do, how do we That's like a whole new thinking for somebody who will, I'm sorry to say this, but like that you're asking people to start thinking differently. Absolutely. So imagine if we started saying, I'm going to enter the, 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 the service departments in government into a competition that private sector normally enter into, is who gives you the best customer service in the country? Which companies? Mm-hmm. Why don't we enter government into those? And start really putting pressure on our governments to up their game. So that would be that would be service excellence. Um, then resilience. I kind of briefly spoke about resilience, and a lot of calls were about water. We could be going to a space where a lot of calls are going to be about energy, mm-hmm. electricity, um, because now we're going again. We've seen some of the reports about ESCOM, the wet coal, the supply of inferior coal. That puts us, that, I mean, energy is also a basic commodity for an economy and a society going forward. What is the resilience in that system? Mm-hmm. We've been doing a lot of work on embedded generation, solar PV. Um, nine years ago when I started this job, there were two energy providers in the city of Cape Town. One was ESCOM and one was the city's own hydroelectric plant out in uh, in Gordons Bay. Today, there are more than 3,000 independent power producers in the city of Cape Town. Mm-hmm. It could be a small household with a solar PV panel on their roof, and when they're at work, they're putting power back into the grid. Yeah. Can I ask you a question from a listener quickly? Sure. Okay. So our listener, Tulani Dasa in Yanga, has sent through a message, and you would like to know what you will do for the youth of the Western Cape if they vote for you in 2019. How's it, Tulani? Uh, thank you very much for that uh, great question. That's to the point. Absolutely. So, I mean, obviously, um, I've got to I'll revert again to my track record. So everything that we focus on as a as a economics department has really been how do we enable uh, jobs for young people. So uh, the Premier's Pay Project, that's how we take a thousand young people and we and we bring them as interns into government, give them an opportunity. So at the end of one year in government, you're, you've already got a CV that allows you or makes you more employable. Um, if you think about... And information about that is like on the internet. Can yes, they apply there? Absolutely. Like, yeah. If you go on to the Western Cape government website and you you uh, go on to bursaries or skills you will see there are probably something like 120 different uh, opportunities of bursaries they, and they're not all local government or provincial government they're national government as well any opportunity you'll see there that's amazing
amazing. Um, that you can get bursaries to go and study agriculture at uh, at the agricultural college in Elsenburg. Let's just mention that website address. It's Western so Cape. So it's westerncape.gov.za. Yeah, westerncape.gov.za. And, and you go look under skills. Go skills. to economic development and go under skills. Yeah. But you'll just type in skills or search. Even if you search Google and say Western Cape government skills and bursaries, you'll come out of it. Great. And uh, right down to projects, um, so, so there's enabling projects. Um, I mean, I, I spoke about the Bandwidth Barn and the Barn in Kailicha and the ICANN Center. In those centers uh, for young people, you can go and spend time there if you're at school during your school holidays and learn to code. Um, I think learning to code in the new tech uh, era that we're going into, the fourth industrial revolution, I mean, that is an enabling uh, or an enabler second to none. Um, we've got gaming that happens in these centers because gaming is gaming is a serious thing. It's not about just games. What can you get out of gaming and how do you get people into gaming rather than into drugs? Um, we've got our after-school program, which is uh, focused on youth. How do we create a space for young people when they finish school off the street so you can do some sport you can get some tu- tutor uh, tuition you can get a meal you can get support so in a nutshell are you saying to Tulani that these are the existing programs these are the existing um, there's there are so many of them but again I think I think as a government um, I think we've been pretty good at what we've been doing but we've got to take it to the next level um, because as you say that I promise you as I was saying these are all the opportunities in government and these are what young entrepreneurs have done and these are the job statistics there are a whole lot of people listening to say but I haven't got a job yeah, in, in fact these are listeners who just sent a message yeah, no, I didn't no. get that opportunity mm. um, and I don't know whether it's we didn't advertise it or the thing was full so obviously we have to do a lot more I mean there's no doubt about it if we still have the highest unempl- youth unemployment rate in the world um, we might have a lower unemployment rate in this province and the last quarter we dropped by 1.5 percent i'm very proud of that but a 20 percent unemployment rate i promise you that is not good enough because there are a whole lot of people that are saying but what about me in fact our listener 0028 has said um this sounds like da empty promises i'm sure you hear that before the listener says backyard dwellers have no houses, there's no job creation, and the list goes on. Do you think that the problems, if I can use that word, or the challenges are just so ginormous and big? So they are huge. But, I mean, yeah, so this is just DA promises. I talk about a track record. I've said it a few times. Go and have a look at which province created more jobs than any other province. Those are opportunities. It's but I can understand where this person comes because from. Because he's right? sitting exactly it's as I said. He's sitting said, on the yeah. other side. Yeah, yeah. And that is why we have got, you know, so we can say we've built X number of hospitals. Uh, we've got X number of clinics. But there are a whole lot of people that stand in a queue that's way too long. So so I think, I think that we've done an excellent job as a government. But in so many people's eyes, we haven't yet. And so that is how do we take what we've done and take it to the next level? And that is what I'm saying in, in my vision going forward. I'm, I'm admitting that definitely there's a lot of stuff that we haven't got right. But I'm also saying that uh, there are, if you judge me against the next uh, MEC in another province, judge me against that MEC and let's see who got more right and then make your decision on that. I will take that same learning into going into the next stage and saying how do we... But I'm also open to trying things, to failing 
maybe we don't fail enough either and we don't own up to when we fail we also ridicule people who fail when you fail you learn the lesson and you move on again and so we've got a lot to do a hang of a lot to do to make the real difference um, and I'm just saying that I think that I've got the vision um, I've got uh, the experience both outside and inside of government and my track record is there to show it um, and so I really hope that I'm not making any empty promises I'm, I'm showing people that we are do you apply my mind I make a difference Let's go for a quick ad break, and when we come back, I'd like to expand a bit on the different departments of the um, the Western Cape government. Cool. The Voice of the Cape. Nine zero, or visit us at Rawood Square, Cliffontaine Road, Rylands, New Heights Travel. Our 27 years experience is your lifetime memory. Alpha Bodyworks Collision Repair Center and Alpha Express Auto. Leaders in collision repairs to all types of vehicles. Backed by all major insurers and vehicle manufacturers, including VW, Audi and Toyota. Using the latest technology and decades of industry experience, we at Alpha Bodyworks are renowned for quality and excellent service. Not insured? We offer special rates for all non-insured clients. With 21 courtesy vehicles and a 24-hour recovery service, Trust Alpha Body Works to bring you peace of mind. Contact Alpha Body Works today. Call 021-691-9333 or 5 or visit www.alphabodyworks.co.za. Alpha Body Works Collision Repair Center. Steps above the rest. For more than 43 years, Sanzaf has been a source of hope. Amal to those in need. Today, we've expanded our outreach and serve communities throughout the country. We do this in a proactive and cost-effective way through projects with dignity, honesty, compassion and shared responsibility. All in the service of humanity for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With your help, we have positively shaped the lives of many and have instilled hope in the future. Support Sansa so we can continue to give hope. Sansa, changing lives through development and relief. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. now in the last 15 minutes of our show. It's been a very informative conversation with Alan Windy. Uh, he's from the Democratic Alliance. He's the MEC for Community Safety at the moment and he wants to be the Premier of the Western Cape. Alan, something very important is citizens being able to access government, being able to access the services of government. Um, tell us a bit about how the Western Cape government works to ensure that citizens can interact and access the services of government. I know there are different departments and yeah, let's elaborate a bit more. Okay, so maybe we should start there. So there's the Department of the Premier, but then there's, of course, there's the Department of Local Government. Uh, there's the Department of Social Development. Uh, there's the Department of uh, Environmental Affairs. There's Health. There's Education. There's Finance. There's Economic Development. There's Agriculture. There's Community Safety. There's uh, Sport and Culture. So there's all these government departments. But, of course, that also can be a bit overwhelming. Um, we also try, uh, and we were chatting 
talking offline now with uh, about access and uh, it's so easy to say just uh, just Google or just, but if you don't have any data and you don't have connectivity, well, hopefully you can find a free Wi-Fi hotspot that the government provides, uh, or one of our libraries will give you access, um, which obviously you must use. Uh, we also have two song centres. We've got youth uh, cafes. Um, we've got uh, offices that, uh, like I mentioned, the barn in Kailicha, the the, the ICANN centre in Elsie's River. Um, so we we have all these touch points that people can get involved with government link into government but maybe i want to talk about something else and how government works so so after an election a the majority party would form a government that government is made up of executive members which are the ministers of the MECs. they are then politically in charge of a department and then you have the legislature which is made up of the rest of that political party's members plus all the opposition parties and that legislature is the body that keeps oversight over government and we have n- a number of occasions in the year that anybody could come into Parliament and actually come in and sit in a meeting and ask a direct question. So we've just gone through the annual reports. You could actually, as a private citizen, come in and sit in Parliament and then... The Provincial ask, Parliament in, in Wales the, Street. Correct. Yeah. And you could actually get a voice to the department, the minister, and the opposition parties would all be sitting there and you can actually ask a question, say why. Um, and so that happens at budget time twice a year and it happens at annual report time. And then of course those standing committees are also there to keep an eye on the interests of the public, use them as well, um, you know, engage. Uh, and I think at local government as well, local government level we have the IDP processes where the budget is spoken about. And I look at it so often that so few people engage and uh, it's through that engagement that actually allows you to, you as a citizen can start making comments and adjust budgets even um, because you got input into that process. And, I mean, we spoke about a lot of things tonight. We spoke about how citizens should, I believe citizens should come up uh, and talk about gentrification and create a, a unified body that comes with a vision for that area. And the same thing, let citizens, citizens hold their public representatives to account, um, you know, Phone your your local councillor. Phone your member of parliament. Go onto Facebook and talk to them. Um, they should all be connected in that way. And if they're not, complain to that political party or go to someone else. You know, at a different political party. Um, citizens must also use um, use democracy. Democracy must work for our people. Um, if democracy works, then what happens is, and as democracy works, we get held as politicians more accountable to what we've got to deliver on, because more and more people interact with us um, and demand from us and ask the right questions of us and influence uh, what we have to deliver on and, and make us ask questions of ourselves. And, yeah. and we need to make sure you use those platforms. Yeah. So it's important. Uh, we believe, of course, that it's important for our sit our, our politicians to deliver and there are mechanisms you say that we can hold them accountable yeah and obviously the ultimate accountability is a vote um you know that's that's the real test at the end of a term okay when we look at the vote and the election and you know how all of that uh you know is going to go i mean next is going to be noisy there's going to be so much going on right what's your plan okay but before we get to that plan i want to say one other thing Mm -hmm. um 
you can only vote if you're registered to vote. Uh-huh. So you need to make sure that you're registered to vote. That's the first thing. And I think every citizen's responsibility is to at least get themselves registered. And then they can, once they're registered, they can make a decision. And of course, as you said, it's going to be very noisy leading up to the election, of course. But I'm a politician. We like that stuff. We, we like those debates. We, we like that noise. It's about our policy versus someone else's policy. It's about our promise versus someone else's promise. Um, and, and of course, that's what politics is about. It's about putting a vision and a plan to the public and asking them to support you in that vision and that plan so that you can go out and and on their behalf put uh, those changes in place. So we build a better society. We build a better South Africa. Mm-hmm. Listeners, just to remind you, our lines are open. We are now running into the last few minutes of our show. We're going to go for a quick ad break, but just to reiterate, the live on-air number is 021-442-3530. You can also send us a WhatsApp to the number 072-238-0713 FM The Burning Issue Caller, welcome to Burning Issue Burning Issues at Mr. Windy Yes, hello Hi, good day for you. My daughter applied for a, a vacancy at the DA, which she really wanted to go and work for them. And it looked like she was going to get it because why she, the police clearance was fine, everything. She's got a, she's four years, attorney, uh, she went for stu- to study for attorney, only for four years. But due to things she didn't do it then she applied now for the da and it looked like that she was going to get a job but because why she put on twitter a corruption about the water corruption about this and that regarding the da but not meaning that she won't get the job it was just a honest expression mm. then they found her she won't get the job because of what she put on about the DA, which was the truth about the water. Mm. So what do you say about that, sir? Well, it's a very difficult one to answer. I don't know all the facts. Um, but uh, I suppose, uh, you know, it depends on also what she was saying. Um, you know, corruption about the water, I'm not sure what that is. Um, but I'm very happy to investigate it if you like. Um, you, know, I, you know, it's very difficult to answer that question. Okay, well, um, so maybe maybe she should send me a, a mail or send me a, a WhatsApp or send me a tweet. Okay, yeah. she can find you on the internet, I'm yeah, sure. Just Google Ellen Wendy. Yeah, okay. Then another thing I want to just come to is poverty alleviation because we see a lot of poverty. And I, I mean, I see a lot more homelessness. You Absolutely. Know? I mean, what, what, what do you, what do, do you, how would you even begin to address so it's a big big issue for south africa when you have unemployment rates at uh, you know uh, some of the highest in the world when you have uh, growth rates that are downgraded and lower than even projected when inflation you know sitting at six and seven percent but our growth is sitting at 0.7 percent it sounds terrible it's shocking and in the last 10 years south africa's actually got poorer 
Um, when you look at the statistics, our country is getting poorer. And when our country gets poorer, the poverty line increases. And when, when you've got people, over 51% of our country sit in the upper poverty line. So that's half of your country sitting in poverty. I mean, this is, these, these are really, really hectic statistics. And uh, so poverty, poverty is a big, big issue. We've got, uh, as a country, we've got uh, social grants that get, get, get paid out. But, of course, not everyone can get a social grant. Um, I, I also think that we should change the grant system. I, I really like uh, the Brazilian system, which is called Brasilia Familia or Familia Brasilia, where you actually have to do something for your grant. You have to collect a bag of rubbish or you have to clean the town fountain or you have to you have to do something and then you get your grant. So there's a bit of give and take. So it's something for the um, social good. Yes, yes. Um, but it's, it's a complex issue. Poverty is a big, big problem for South Africa. Um, we have got certain, certain social nets, but obviously they're not big enough and that's why um, for me the big drive is on how do we create jobs because every person that gets a job comes out of that poverty space and also affects other people around them oh yes so you have an upliftment of a society one job in a family doesn't just help that individual it helps the family Okay, so look, I mean, these are very big and complex questions, of course, and you know, it's it's the kind of stuff that you have been involved in with, at the at your at your at your MEC level, you know. I just remind our listeners how many MEC positions have you held? You said four. Four, actually. Yeah. So the first term um, when I when I got first elected, I was the MEC of Finance and economic development and tourism. So I had the finance portfolio as well as the economics portfolio. Then in the second term, then I was the Minister of Economic Development and the Minister of Agriculture in Economic Opportunities. And now for the last six days, I've been the Minister of Community Safety. Okay, okay. So yeah, I mean, in wrapping up, do you have any final word to Western Cape listeners? Because we are coming to the end of our show now. Absolutely. Well, I first want to thank you. Um, it's been great being been great being on the show. Uh, thank you very much to the listeners for their questions, for their comments, uh, and some of them really complex questions which show the complexity of the society in which we live. Um, I think my message is make sure you're registered to vote because uh, you can only vote if you are registered. I love I love the few days after an election when people come to see me and ask for help and I just want to see their thumb. I don't care who they voted for, I want to see their thumb because then they go to the top of the pile instead of the bottom of the pile. Um, people have fought in this country for the vote. People have died in this country for the vote. So please exercise your vote. And of course, uh, I would like you to apply your mind and uh, I very much would like your vote uh, next year. Uh, it's, it's a long way to go still, uh, May next year. And uh, you know, have a look at the offerings. Um, but I believe I've got the track record and uh, I'm sure I can make a difference in your life. Yeah. And just to say that, of course, we I'm sure that before the election, we would likely have you on again and possibly even other candidates. Absolutely. Let's have a debate on air. Um, so it's people phoning in, plus a couple of different political candidates around the table, because that's what it's about. It's about us putting on the table uh, what we are offering, uh, what we've done, and voters must make a choice. And that choice is, do they think their lives will improve? Yes or no? And, uh, you know, that's why I really believe more and more people should be registered because then you are able to make that choice if mm-hmm. it's too late if the re- if voting day arrives and you're not registered then that means you can't vote great stuff ellen windy we thank you for your time this evening and of course we'll welcome you back on the voice of the cape from myself as it come in burning issue is always a fascinating space to be in always hearing from interesting people and in what they are doing until next week assalamu alaikum